And so this might be trying harder to get your attention or talking louder to try to be heard and to try to finally get through to you. Um, Things like that. Whereas the avoidant, someone with an avoidant coping style um, would be trying to, um, let me see how to, how to put it succinctly. They would be um, trying to avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like conflict between us signals danger. It means I'm going to lose con- contact with you. I'm going to lose that home feeling with you. Um, that I won't be able to count on you to be there for me if we start having all of this tension and conflict. So I'm going to try to be, I'm going to be more quiet or I'm going to walk away from the conversation or I'm going to do something so that way we can let this tense moment pass us by and then get reconnected after it passes us by. What you've just heard is a clip from an interview that you'll hear today. It's from a conversation with our special guest, and I'll introduce her in just a few minutes. I just wanted you to get a taste of what is to come, and I've entitled this episode, How Not to Relate to Your Spouse. How Not to Relate to Your Spouse. And you have kind of heard the direction we're going to go, plus a whole lot more. So that's not all. In this episode, you'll hear how our guest discusses the issue of trauma and its impact on your nervous system, but also on your marriage and what to do about it. You'll also hear discussions on the issue of abuse and what people generally refer to. And you hear that plus a whole lot more. So you've just got to stay tuned and don't, you don't want to miss this. This is episode 59. So stay tuned as we get the show started. Hello and welcome to the Happier Marriage Podcast. A podcast for spouses longing to have a happier marriage so they can feel more connected, desired and supported. Now to start the show, here is your host and Sherpa, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified relationship coach, Kingsley Grant. Just a reminder, the Happier Marriage podcast is on a mission to globally eradicate unhappiness from marriages, and you're encouraged to join this movement by sharing this podcast with at least one other spouse. And just to be clear, this podcast is focused primarily on the the extraordinary wife and her role in transforming her marriage one scale at a time. To Kingsley, why the extraordinary wife? How did you come up with that? That's one whole other podcast. And you've been listening to me. You've heard me talk about that and why. And you hear that when I do solo shows, I explain more about that. So you've got to make sure you listen to that episode as those episodes as well. Now, even though it's aimed at her, I can guarantee you, you'll find something that will be said that will be helpful to you. So let me say this. You may or may not agree with all that you hear. And quite frankly, you might be triggered by some of what you'll hear on this episode and other episodes. But remember, that is one of the purpose of this show, to stir things up, shake up the status quo in what you've been hearing about marriages. But you can always be assured of this, that no matter what happens, we're going to take you in for what I call a solid landing, right? So this show is brought to you by kingslegrant.com, where you'll find resources 
uh, for your marriage. And so you want to go there at kingsofgrant.com. You see resources and other helpful um, other helpful um, ideas that are presented on that website, kingsofgrant.com. And our hope is that you'll be, in, you'll be challenged, inspired, and encouraged in this episode as in every other episode. So stay tuned. So the big question is this. How is it possible that you have a happier marriage when... You feel like you've tried everything. Your spouse isn't making an effort. You're exhausted. You feel like giving up. Or there's so much hurt that's taken place between you and your spouse. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. Stated earlier, we have a guest on the show, and her name is Elizabeth Polinski. You'll be hearing her talk about the issues I mentioned as only she can tell it. Just to remind you that you can also watch the video version of this interview on my YouTube channel, Kingsley Grant. Make sure you subscribe to the channel once you go there. Here's what you might want to know about our guest, Elizabeth Polinski, also known as Liz. She goes by Liz Polinski. Liz is a licensed therapist who works primarily with military couples, being one herself. She focuses on helping them have better relationships where they feel better understood, accepted, and cared for. One of her, one of her primary areas of expertise is to help couples overcome communication problems in order to feel emotionally close again. She uses a special approach, and she will mention that and why she uses that approach in helping her couples. So without Further ado, let's welcome our guest, Elizabeth Polinski, to the show today. Thanks for joining me on the Happier Marriage Secrets podcast, where we are on a mission to make marriages happier again. Today, we have our guest, Elizabeth Polinski. Elizabeth, I'm so glad you have joined me on this podcast today. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks. I'm I'm doing really good, and I'm excited to be here. I love love being on podcasts and I love talking about how to make marriages happier. So this is, this is going to be fun. Awesome. I know it's going to be fun. I've listened to a few of your interviews and I've really heard different, different directions you've gone in um, being asked as a guest. So it really has helped me as well as just kind of preparing for this, but I just like to have conversation and make it very organic to our time today. So one of the ways that we are going to accomplish our mission, Elizabeth, is to have guests like you uh, who share your story and our expertise uh, that helps our audience acquire skills and or learn from what you shared so that they can have happier marriages. But before we talk about that, where you are today and what you're doing, what was a story you had about marriage as you grew up and where did that story come from? Yeah. I think the story I had was that marriages don't work. <laughs> if I had to put it succinctly, I I did not see until I was in high school. I did not see a couple that stayed together that was happy. Wow. Most of the relationships I had seen were were families where the parents had divorced or they were in families where there was so much conflict and tension between the couple that you almost wished they were would just divorce. And that was pretty much everything I saw growing up until I was in high school. And that is the first like truly healthy, happy relationship 
that I've ever seen. And they're still like my role model today. Wow. Um, they are the couple that I want to be. So. What was it about that marriage that really kind of stood out to you from so, I mean, other than the stability and probably the long term, what else that stood out to you that make that marriage such an impact, such an impact on you? Yeah, that's a really great question. I don't know that I have analyzed it that <laughs> in depth like that, but <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of going with my gut. Mm. I think they were the first couple that seemed really kind to each other. And and they they had like tense moments of sort of like conflict or disagreements but they they were relatively mild and would talk through them. And mm-hmm. I knew that they worked through things together and I knew that they would read different sort of like relationship books and that mm-hmm. they were actively working on making sure that they had a good marriage, which is also something I had never seen anybody do before. Well, so in your own household, your own family of origin, how Mm -hmm. was that? that, um... Yeah, my parents, my parents divorced when I was pretty young. I want to say I was like two or three. They were a dual military couple and military life definitely played a role in their, the decline of their relationship, which is so common. Like, as you know, I work with a ton of military couples. So that was part of the passion that led me to working with military couples. And, and then I think I'm thinking like my dad remarried and he struggled still Mm. with relationships and went through a few different divorces and military life. I know played a big role in the second divorce as well. Mm. So I didn't really, and my mom, I lived primarily with my mom after that, and she didn't remarry until I was, until like all the kids were out of the house. Mm. So I didn't really, I didn't grow up really with a relationship in my family. Yeah. Um, I didn't have, uh, my mom didn't have siblings, so I wasn't, it wasn't like I was around cousins or mm-hmm. other extended family relationships. My dad had kind of like an estranged sister Mm. who I really liked, but because of that, I wasn't really around her very often. She had a really great, a really great marriage. I think they were probably good role models as well, Mm. but I just wasn't, uh, hardly ever saw them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can imagine that as you then began to get into adulthood, and having had, you know, like you said, that kind of story about marriage until you got into high school. And that was really um, kind of a game changer to see what marriage should look like and get to learn some things about that as you watch the couple and so on. So did that kind of change your, your thought about marriage to in such a way that you could possibly one day see yourself getting married? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> That's so interesting because I think I grew up very in like a very religious environment. Mm -hmm. So the goal was always marriage. Mm -hmm. That was always like the thing to eventually attain. (laughs) But at the same time, I had this conflicting message that while you should get married and this is the ultimate thing that you should be doing, it won't ever work out. Mm -hmm. People will just be in conflict. So they were kind of conflicting messages that way. Mm -hmm. But Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, it wasn't that I didn't ever see myself right. being married. It was more that I didn't know how to choose a partner or mm-hmm. how to think about what would be good qualities in a partner or what would make for a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Those were more 
things that I personally struggled with more. And so you haven't seen the impact of military life on marriages and how that worked out and so on. And then you eventually got married to someone who was also in the military. Was it what did he mm-hmm. was in the military at a time or was that after the marriage? He was in the military when we met. Yeah. Ah, so, okay. so let's see. So then I became a therapist and I worked as a trauma therapist for the Department of Veterans Affairs for a while. So I was working with a lot of veterans and even some of them who had gone through like really horrific things would tell me, I remember some of them telling me that the thing that really stuck with them was that their relationship declined, like that the, Mm -hmm. like all kind of all, everything that happened with their marriage that led to the divorce. And that was one of the things that they were having such a hard time kind of like moving past in their life. So this was like another way that I was like, oh, I really want to help military couples. And then I met my now husband when I was working as a trauma therapist. And when I decided, okay, yeah, I'm going to commit to this guy, (laughs) you know, like we had to move around with the military. So, Mm -hmm. so it was once we started moving around, I Mm -hmm. left, left the job at the VA that I decided to go really hardcore into couples Mm -hmm. counseling. Yeah. So you can move it with a background on the training that you had. Did you see that possibly as one of the reasons why you could say, well, I would have an idea about what you might need to do in your own relationship, should in case you experience conflict or having any challenges, did any of that help you or it was on maybe on hand, just, you know, learning as you go? I mean, what was that like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think I totally failed at my early dating relationships, but that was a motivator because I started reading all the relationship books that I could to try to figure out like, why are my dating relationships going so horrible? Uh, And I knew part of it was I I just didn't didn't have a template for what, like how to pick a partner, what would be a healthy relationship. The people who were around me were not in health relationships, so they couldn't really give me advice. But I read a bunch of books. And, you know, I think back, I think back then, when I was first reading books like that, they were really just to help me. Mm. But then when I was in school to become a therapist, I started learning a little bit about couples counseling. But then when I worked in the government, most government jobs for therapists are very focused on in individual mental health counseling. So they're mm-hmm. not, they're just not focused on couple relationships. But I did some work with the chaplains at the VA and the chaplains, you know, were very relationship-based. They were interested in helping veterans with their relationships. So I got to collaborate some. Mm. I did these warrior to soulmate workshop with the VA chaplain program. Mm. And then when I I really decided, yes, I I want to pursue this dream, Mm -hmm. then started a PhD in couples therapy. Mm. So that's really where I learned (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's like really where I learned how to help couples was through that process. Yeah. Do you find that because you're so much in the military and having worked in that context so often? And so there tend to be, which is most people think about, you know, post-traumatic stress disorders and stuff in, in 
military couples, but most people who are not in the military, what are the connections? What are some things that are similar on the way that is showing up in relationship that you see so often in Mm -hmm. military couples? Yeah, there's so so many similarities. Every every problem that a regular couple has, millennials have them too. (laughs) You know, the the stress of transitioning to to being first time parents. That's a really common point. Sort of navigating how to go from an individual person Mm. to being a unit Mm. is almost always a big struggle for people in the first few years of marriage. Just Mm -hmm. how do I navigate how much individuality we both have and how much togetherness we both have? Mm -hmm. And every couple has to sort of create some sort of balance that they're both comfortable with in terms of that. So that's a really common Mm -hmm. challenge. I mean, learning how to communicate effectively is another really common challenge, Mm -hmm. especially at the beginning and sort of creating a new family norm. Yeah, like start like creating a whole new family, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, with it, new it traditions and yeah, and, and I find sometimes when they're trying to merge that whole to you know what's your own background, your own connect, your own issues you've had growing up. I, I find a couple sometimes, and a lot of people, even in my audience who are listening today, find themselves stuck. They're stuck because of a connection issue, or they may see a behavior or some other thing that. It's like this foreign thing. They have no idea what to do with it, right? And mm-hmm. behaviors that tend to come up over and over again, and they feel stuck. So, so from a broad perspective, like a 30,000 feet view first, when you're looking down on a relationship like that where a person might be stuck, where did your mind go first as far as what way, what approach to even begin to unpack with them the possibilities that there might be something traumatic or something of a, of a nature that they're bringing into mm-hmm. the relationship more than just what's happening at that time. How do you start to unpack with them those things? Yeah, what a great question. I think I, so I work from emotionally focused couples therapy, which is based on attachment theory. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes with couples, I'll explain kind of like just the basics of attachment theory. But we all come to our current relationships with sort of a template for what we expect in terms of how other people will treat us and sort of our own worth and our self-esteem that we learned from our family growing up or from previous relationships. So like sometimes I'll have clients where they were in really abusive first relationships and that even if they had the most perfect childhood experience that can really create a new template on the inside of them where then they expect um a harm from mm-hmm. the new partner even if then you know and so we have to work on that template mm-hmm. but so couples come into relationships with template and and i think ways that they sort of expect the world to be mm-hmm. and then those are often very different, <laughs> um, different <laughs> templates Surprise. that they have learned from their different families. Mm-hmm. And depending on how much pain someone experienced in previous relationships might also determine how many things they find emotionally triggering mm-hmm. in the new relationship. So if, if I had, I, I'm thinking of one of my best friends from college who is Italian and she comes from, she comes from this big Italian family 
and very like identifies we are Italian, you know, <laughs> and they yell and they scream. And this is just regular dinner. If if she were to marry someone who came from a like a different cultural background mm-hmm. or just a different family who wasn't so expressive that yeah. way, the silence would be triggering. It would be like, why are you not engaging with me? Mm-hmm. And for the other person who comes from kind of just like a more quiet, mm-hmm. I guess, family, you know, not the Italian uh, right. sort of thing they might experience the the level of expressiveness as mm-hmm. triggering as like what do i do with this because their templates for what is normal in relationships mm-hmm. are so different and then the and then when you don't understand maybe understand is not quite the right word but when it seems so foreign i guess it yeah. seems so different than right. how their natural way of being is then it's so easy to create judgments that aren't necessarily mm-hmm. true mm-hmm. So some sometimes hear things like I'll I'll hear things like they're being abusive, mm-hmm. they're a narcissist, they're mm-hmm. gaslighting me. Mm-hmm. I want to be very clear because if those things were really happening, right. those would never be appropriate. Right. Under any circumstances. Right. And there are times where some of it is a misunderstanding between right. couples. Right. I think what happened, like you're describing, I find these individuals may create their own meanings and associate mm-hmm. and give it and label those things a certain way. And sometimes those labels, it's also what creates additional conflict in the relationship. Because yes. now the person may be saying, you know, telling that person, you just don't care. You don't love me. And what's going on? And all these things are happening. And so you mentioned about the idea of this attachment. So. Mm-hmm. What are then the attachment styles or what are the things that people may um, begin to think about when they hear this word attachment? Yes. Yeah. So we all form attachments to a variety of people. Mm-hmm. And when we're first born, you know, that tends to be our parents, whoever's raising us, but it could also be a sibling. Some people form really deep attachments attachments to like a, a sports coach or mm-hmm. a or a best friend mm-hmm. that they, the same best friend for 20 years that could be an attachment as well and then when you have a, a marriage or a sexual partner a committed relationship that is all becomes an attachment relationship over time as well so mm-hmm. ideally everyone craves sort of this sense of feeling secure in mm-hmm. those relationships and that would be ideal. And there are a few elements that help us know that a relationship is secure. Mm-hmm. One is that it's like a place I go home to. Mm-hmm. It's my emotional home that in the stresses of life, I can go to my person and get comfort and emotional support from them. It also is a way that I, it's also my home base. So it's not just my home that I can return to. Mm -hmm. It's my home base that I can then explore and go do fun, cool things like be on a podcast and then go back and tell my partner or my mom how cool it was to be on a podcast. And so these these sorts of things are, are two of the primary parts of feeling secure And there is an acronym that I really like to use called RE, which is accessible, responsive, and engaged. So I can access my person 
I know they're going to respond to me versus ignore me. And they're going to be engaged in like the conversation or with me. Um, Mm -hmm. So many people don't have this for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it is because they didn't have security in their relationships growing up. Mm -hmm. And then, and then that becomes the new template, sort of an insecure template for future relationships. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear people talk about anxious attachment styles, avoidant mm-hmm. attachment styles. Mm-hmm. Those are just different ways that people coped with that feeling of insecurity. Mm-hmm. So if, they, if they're anxiously um, anxious attachment, right, or even the, the avoidant, what would that person be doing? Because I think sometimes if you're in that moment, uh, you hear and you feel insecure, right? And there's an attachment go- trying to you're trying to make this attachment happen or work, and it's not. And mm-hmm. sometimes there's an avoidant kind of aspect of that. What would it normally look like in a in a couple's in a relationship? Yes. Yeah, so oftentimes these two styles are attracted to each other, <laughs> and they often end up in couple in couple relationships together, where one is does have an anxious attachment style. For from childhood and the other one has an avoidant attachment style from childhood. In moments of distress, when I don't know if I can count on you to be my home, can I count on you to be A-R-E, right? Accessible, engaged, and responsive. If I feel like you're not there for me, how do I respond? Mm -hmm. So the anxious attachment person copes and responds by trying to get more engagement from their partner. Mm -hmm. And so this might be trying harder to get your attention or talking louder to try to be heard and to try to finally get through to you, Mm. things like that. Whereas the avoidant, someone with an avoidant coping style would be trying to, let me see how how to put it succinctly, they would be trying to avoid conflict. It's sort of like conflict between us signals danger. Mm-hmm. It means I'm going to lose con- contact with you. I'm going to lose that home feeling with you that I won't be able to count on you to be there for me if we start having all of this tension and conflict. So I'm going to try to be, I'm going to be more quiet or I'm going to walk away from the conversation or I'm going to do something so that way we can let this tense moment pass us by and then get reconnected after it passes us by. So they they both have good intentions yeah. of preserving the relationship, but their styles are very different and often create friction between them. <laughs> no, I can see that. I, I, I can see where that is. Like I, I heard when I was you were just explaining that, which I think I truly appreciate that. Because both of them are trying to connect. They're trying to do something to preserve. They're trying to do something on behalf of the relationship. They're, they're mm-hmm. trying to, to get that part working, but something that is, is they feel as if because the other person does not reciprocate the way they're hoping they would, then they're going to try harder, which now creates another element of, of conflict or problems in the relationship. So are those mostly more, more, the, more dominant or pre more often kind of styles that tend to be, or are there other things that a couple might want to even think about when they're in this relationship, in their relationships? Yeah, well, I would say like every couple has a pattern that they get kind of like, I don't know, like in a habit or a rut together that they form. And the most common one 
often involves someone who is more anxiously attached mm-hmm. and someone who's more avoidantly attached. Mm-hmm. But even even people with with more higher levels of security mm-hmm. can get into a pattern as well. Okay. But the most common pattern is that I try to I try to get through to you to yeah. get more connection mm-hmm. and and for some people that can feel very critical. Mm-hmm. Um, at, especially at, at higher levels like I'm trying harder and harder and harder to yeah. get through to you. Yeah. And then the other person is is feeling sort of pressure or gets defensive, something that seems critical and they back away. Mm-hmm. And and then when the one backs away, the other one is saying, "Oh gosh, now I have to try harder." to get to you. (laughs) And then they try harder and the other one backs away more. And then they get stuck in this sort Mm -hmm. of loop. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, I think, so I think to answer your question, like every couple gets stuck in a pattern. Yeah. It's normal. And it's not that either of them are doing, you know, are like bad people or doing something wrong or are to blame. It's that this sort of pattern is driving more and more distance between them. Do you find, and again, I'm sure because of working with miniature couples, you probably see this more often than even um, civilians per se. But I, I sometimes come across where there's some trauma of one of the one or both of the persons in that marriage in the relationship, and so sometimes there are things that are happening, and I just call it the emotional allergic reaction the person may be having in because something is triggering them that is more traumatic in nature, but the other person mm-hmm. may not be aware of that. And so that creates for them an issue. When that is happening, and even in the military setting, what's the approach that normally helps a couple navigate those moments? You know, and of course, of course, a third party a professional is very important here, but it's in general that could help them to navigate those moments to realize that this might be something of my past that's triggering me and I need to let my partner know what might be a way to them to begin to unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. These are such lovely questions. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking like there are so many ways we could talk about this. I'm yeah. um I'm finding myself thinking about a couple where one has PTSD mm. and where one doesn't. And and that might like if there is a diagnosis of PTSD, that might that adds a little bit of extra complexity where yeah. I would want that couple to to have some like education around what yeah. what is PTSD and how does that what are the symptoms? So that way they can know that even if their partner is like snapping in that moment and they don't know why, they can know this is part of the PTSD and it, uh and having that kind of knowledge helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but for both bulls, I think the place that um, I like to start at least after that, after they have an idea of whatever pattern that they're in um, is I like to use this acronym called TEMP, which stands for trigger, emotion, meaning, and protection. And it's just a way of tracking my internal emotional experience Mm-hmm. To then one to build my own awareness of it. If yeah. I can't tell my partner that I've been triggered unless I can <laughs> become aware of it first. So Thanks. going through temp individually can just help build that personal awareness into emotions. And it also makes emotions feel less intense. There's a regulating aspect to just being able to identify them. 
Mm-hmm. And once each partner can start to do that process, then they can start coming back, you know, after a tense moment and sharing with each other. This was my temp. This was what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. And as they do that, they get faster at it, you know, and then they can do it in the moment and they can be yeah. like, whoa, 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 hold on. Let's figure out what's going on and go through temp together. Hmm. I, I really like that. I think those are some good, uh, you know, um, tips and tools that occur, um, someone can easily remember. But I think it's it's so critical for them to communicate often about these moments because they get stuck sometime and think that this is happening all over again. If I give a quick example of a couple I was working with at some time back, and there was sexual, uh, there were uh, there was a sexual um, trauma, and and the, the wise part. And so what happened was after a while because of their, their sexual interaction, she began to pull away and he took it personal, yeah. right? And she, she was having a hard time because she said, I really love my husband, but I'm just having a hard time with this. And he doesn't seem to understand because she is really in some things that is happening in their relationship. And it's almost like, almost like saying deja vu, here's going to happen again. And so now she is like kind of pulling away and he takes his personal and is of course creating this this relationship problem. So then it came in, that was where they wanted to start. So in moments like that, for example, a trauma like that, where mm-hmm. that's happening, how would you begin to even tell the couple maybe what they might want to do? And, and again, we're not doing therapy here. We're not trying to look for anything. Yeah. But in general, to even the self-awareness, how to begin to unpack this, because I find if they can only, it doesn't require both persons to truly- yes step up to the plate in this area and to even have some results that could be helpful. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, this, this is complex. So yeah. let me, let yeah. me yeah. go through the different thoughts I'm having. So mm-hmm. one thought is to really normalize what trauma does uh, to someone's nervous system and really help both of them understand the, like the impact of that past sexual trauma mm-hmm. on someone's nervous system mm-hmm. and how that absolutely would impact their sex life. Mm-hmm. It's it's very hard to feel sexy yeah. if you are having memories of yeah. an assault happen. Yes. So help, helping both like really understand what those symptoms are. There mm-hmm. it PTSD is like one of the most curable mental I, health I diagnoses. I agree. So the the research is just so good like on all of the <laughs> trauma treatments that yeah. that does not have to be an experience that she continues to have. Mm-hmm. She can um, go through trauma therapy mm-hmm. and no longer have PTSD symptoms and be able to enjoy sex more again. For this couple, though, it would be tempting to say she's the problem because of her sexual trauma. Yes. But this... <laughs> This guy in this story, he is also having some sort of, you know, it's maybe not, you know, big trauma like a sexual assault, but he is taking this really personally, which is about his own, something is getting triggered from his past about, I'm not good enough, or I'm not wanted, and my, somehow my family, I never felt wanted, or sexually or something like this for him to take it so personally. So it would be helping both of them Mm -hmm. recognize how, gosh, what am I thinking? I'm thinking about how they're both getting triggered, like feelings of insecurity or sensitivities and raw spots that they have emotionally 
are getting triggered in that dynamic. Mm. You know, I really appreciate what you said earlier. I think it was so key, the key word is having them to normalize some things. You know, I, I find sometimes, mm-hmm. and if of course, we always mention to get some professional help. But sometimes I find that self, self-talk, right? What can they say to themselves about this situation, mm-hmm. this relationship, this partner they're with? Because they're not, of course, a past situation that they experienced. And I find sometimes that self-talk in a way that helps to normalize that they feel safe, unless, of course, the other person is also being triggered and make them feel unsafe now. Now, of course, that becomes a different story. But in general, I think that might be helpful. Is self-talk mm-hmm. helpful with someone who having are having some just basic PTSD issues? Or is not recommended. Yes. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I'm, I think it is fine. I think there's like, I don't know, there are things that help like a small amount, a medium amount and a lot. <laughs> okay. You know? And, and I think that is something that will help, but it's, I think it, it sort of depends on how, how much their nervous system is being triggered. Because if I can self taught, like if it's, if it's triggered enough that self-talk will, I'm sorry, if it's triggered, if it's not so triggered that self-talk will help regulate them and help them be more in touch with the present moment, then absolutely, mm-hmm. I'm all for that. I just know sometimes, especially like right after a traumatic experience or when there hasn't hasn't been any treatment for it at all, then it can it can go like zero to one hundred on the inside so quickly that that I don't know that they would be able to use self talk or even if they could yeah. it would be like not believed and a yeah. a key piece to self talk is that yes. I have to be able to believe it. I agree. <laughs> when I say I agree. it, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that because I think while you were talking and beginning to unpack that, I'm starting thinking. Okay, you're right because I think. Even sometimes the self-talk, if they, number one, don't believe it, it, not, it won't be helpful. But number two, I think that they may not even have the language with which to use yeah. that would be very helpful for them because they're going to bring in the language that might even make, make matters worse, you know? So I think, yes, I think there's some elements of some care and a very discretion have to be used in that approach. You know, I really love the idea. So you've really mastered emotional uh, emotional focus, focus therapy, right, EFT? Why did you choose that as the approach over others? Yes. Yeah. I'm thinking like three things. One, I fell in love. <laughs> like if you, could, if you could fall in love with the type of therapy, I fell in love with the type of therapy. Mm-hmm. But also the research is really strong in support of emotionally focused couple therapy. So the the American Psychological Association, they keep track of kind of the evidence for for all the different types of therapies and do are they effective for different diagnoses like PTSD or depression or anxiety. And that's, that's how we even know that PTSD is one of the most curable diagnoses. But right now, according to APA, there's only one evidence-based treatment for couple therapy that meets a certain research standard in EFT is treatment. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that the other types of couple therapy aren't helpful. They can be very helpful for couples and couples have a lot of benefit from them. There's just not as much research. Mm -hmm. And part of that is I could go on like this whole spiel about our, our 
mental health and how healthcare is um, around mental health. But part of it is because relational therapies are not prioritized in comparison to individual therapies. Which is so unfortunate because I believe, and my my thing is that every problem a person experiences is relational. I mean, you pair it all the way back there's some relational aspect to that, you know? Um, so as, as we're kind of um, shifting before we're closing out here, I'm curious as you are navigating this as a professional, but also as a wife and as a military, you move around mm-hmm. quite a bit. And yes. <laughs> how do you, how do you manage all of that? Because I'm thinking how some couples have a hard time moving two times, but you're moving around as the military, so to speak requires. How do you navigate that and, make sure your marriage gets priority and and all of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I think like, I think there, there are ways that I have some privilege that helps with that. So I'm, I'm thinking of several things. Like I, uh, I grew up in a military family, so I have knowledge of like how things are. I'm kind of familiar where that would be harder if I had had no context of military life. I have also moved frequently with like going to grad school or different jobs and and things like that. I've my family because it's generations of military, they're just transient. (laughs) And I also have like I have a high level of education, which and a career that's very mobile. And mm-hmm. I have the ability to have my own business, like my own private practice as a therapist that I, it, I mean, it does take creativity, but I yes. also am, I'm still set up yeah. in maybe ways that make it easier for me than for other military spouses. So I just want to like acknowledge that while also stating it does take a lot of creativity mm-hmm. um, and planning. Like I'm thinking about not only this most recent move to Nevada, my husband was deployed and he came back and two weeks later we moved. And so almost the entire move was like on me until like actual driving. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And that's like really stressful. But then also moving, you know, not just our home, but my business and how to move like a business Mm -hmm. in multiple states is (laughs) also very interesting. So it just takes, I don't know, a lot of organization skills and creativity (laughs) and stubbornness. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think like you also said, because you have grown up with this, this is pretty much um, a normal kind of way of just living and you just uh, adjust and just uh, get acclimated as you keep on, you know, moving around but I think I love the idea that you recognize that you can work from anywhere you are, basically, if you're virtually, and you can find a way to adapt your business to that. So I think it's really having the mindset to recognize, okay, it's maybe an opportunity for me to, you know, just not only be at another place, but I can still continue as if everything remained the same, right? So Elizabeth, I, I'm curious to see as we're kind of winding down here, is there anything you're working on that even my audience might even, because I know that they myself i've truly truly just i'm asking some some questions just to be honest for myself as well so i appreciate you answering some of those, those yeah, questions of course it's very helpful but i think they are getting some very helpful thing i would love to know if there's anything you're working on or how to even even connect with you if they so desire and what would they probably get if they do connect with you yeah happy to answer that so i have two i have two businesses i have 
my counseling practice, Elizabeth Polinsky Counseling, where I'm licensed in four states right now with like two more, two more that are in the process. So if people were looking for counseling or weekend, like I also do these weekend long intensive counseling sessions for, for people who are out of state who want to like come in and do like a lot of hard work on the weekend. Those are options for counseling. And then I have my podcast, the Communicate and Connect podcast for military relationships. This, my podcast is kind of up and going, but I have big goals for it in the future. I want to do more couples workshops and like retreats that are focused on military couples. There, there are just a lot of additional challenges to accessing quality marriage counseling services for military couples. So that is sort of like something that I'm really passionate about is doing these sort of EFT based workshops and retreats for military couples. So. Mm. And, and they can find a, basically by going to Elizabeth Polinsky.com. That's where you would, that's where the website. Um, go to. The count for counseling. It's Elizabeth Polinsky counseling.com for okay. the podcast. It's communicate and connect podcast.com. Okay, great. And I have all the links in the in the description that follows this uh, this this episode here today, and uh, make sure everybody connect with you, and so they can follow you there. Are you are you are in the social media platforms that they could also yes. follow you? Yeah, at Liz Polinsky. So okay. Facebook and Instagram at Liz Polinsky. And, and yeah. Polinsky is spelled P O L I N S K Y. Yes. Right? So we'll be having, of course, all those links inside the the show notes. So, Elizabeth, I want to say thank you. But before we wrap things up here, last question. Is there anything that maybe I didn't ask you, maybe you might want to leave us with, that would be helpful for a a person listening today? And I think about that wife. I call her the extraordinary wife because she has such influence and, to me, power that can really help a marriage. And so if you're going to give one last word to him or her, what might you say to her what she can continue to do? to make her marriage happier. Of course, it's not that she's going to find her happiness per se only in her marriage. She needs to be responsible for that herself. But is there anything she possibly could think about that would help her marriage even become happier knowing she's an extraordinary wife? Yes. Yeah. So my, like, oftentimes when I think about if I could only give one thing to couples, what would I give them? And I would tell them to do a monthly marriage meeting. That is like my, if I could only do one thing, that would be the thing that I would have couples do because it gives it um, a dedicated time. Mm-hmm. So, so if we're, you know, on, on date night, I don't need to necessarily hash our last fight or talk about the bills that need to get taken care of. We know there's a dedicated time to talk about those things and it can allow us to just enjoy date night or enjoy family time or whatever is going on. Mm. It also makes sure that there is dedicated time to talk about things that would normally get under the rug. So talking about how is our quality time going? How's our sex life going? How's our money situation? Are we, are we okay? Are we happy with how the distribution of chores are going? Are there things we need to talk about in terms of parenting, discipline, or, you know, there's a dedicated time to talk about those things. I, I love it. I love it. I call it that the huddle time. So I really love that yeah. idea because really they can download there and save their, their, I say their date night for some fun things or other things like that. So I really appreciate that 
great advice. So thank you for, for sharing that with us. And so Elizabeth, I want to say, and I know that you are, you're, you're still on mending because you were sick for a while. Mm-hmm. So yes. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be thank with you. us today and sharing some great value. And thank you for being here. And so with the community here at Happier Marriage Secrets Community. So thank you for helping us navigate this idea of marriage and to have happier marriage. So I want to say thanks for for all that you do and feel better, feel better soon. Yeah, thanks. And there you have it, my friends. I hope you got a lot from this episode. Make sure you connect with Elizabeth at her website at Elizabeth Polinsky Counseling, ElizabethPolinskyCounseling.com. The links will be, of course, in the show notes, and you can share this episode with others as well. If you found value in this episode, make sure you leave a rating and a review um, to help us show get more visibility. And if you haven't taken the Happier Marriage Quiz, make sure you do so. It's a good way to assess the state of your marriage and get some feedback. If this interests you, you can access the quiz at happiermarriagesecrets.com slash quiz happiermarriedsecrets.com slash quiz. And the links will be provided, as I mentioned, in this ep- in the um, show notes that follow this episode. Thanks again for listening. And here's the announcer to tell you what you need to hear. What's more? We've come to the end of another exciting show. And if you enjoyed this podcast, one, make sure you give this show a rating and review. Two, subscribe to the show to get all new releases. And three, get your complimentary copy of the Five Secrets to a Happier Marriage ebook at kingsleygrant.com slash HMS ebook. Again, it's kingsleygrant.com slash HMS ebook. See the link in the show notes. Do it today. Don't delay. Thanks so much for listening and make sure you tell one other spouse about this show or better yet, share it with them. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forever.